The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them, and yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When a much-anticipated movie or book is released, people rush to watch it and get their copy, devouring it as quickly as they can. And they inevitably want to tell others all about it, warning whoever is listening that they're about to give away something important about the storyline. They say, spoiler alert. I remember when the seventh and final Harry Potter book was released. It was summer and our daughters were with their grandparents and I had the luxury of being able to read the book cover to cover without any distractions. This was the early days of social media and spoiler alerts were easy to avoid. Today you have to turn off the TV and stay off your phone if you want to escape someone else's take on a story. And in today's gospel, we see that the impulse to tell others what we think is happening in a scene or a story is ancient. Our gospel this morning includes yet another parable, and Luke is quick to tell us what he thinks it's about. The Gospel writer says it's about the need to pray always and not to lose heart. If we let him, he will take away any chance we have to listen to the characters for ourselves and draw our own conclusions. But we're not going to let him do that. Instead, we're going to look at the text of the parable in verses 2 to 5. And listen for what God is saying. Recognizing that the verses before and after the parable are Luke's commentary on it. The first character that Jesus introduces us to is the judge. The parable is often titled the widow and the unjust judge. But it's Luke 
not Jesus who identifies him as unjust. Later, in verse 6. In verse 2, Jesus says, The judge neither feared God or had respect for people. In the small catechism, Luther teaches that the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods, means that we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. Luther then teaches that it is our fear and love for God that directs all of our human relationships. The judge doesn't follow the commandments given to us by God to govern our relationships with God or with others. He denies God. When I hear Luke's word, unjust, I immediately think that the judge is corrupt or dishonest. But what Jesus describes isn't necessarily criminal or miscreant. It is someone turned in on himself, selfish and self-centered without regard for God or neighbor. The second person that Jesus introduces is the widow. I recently reread an article that talked about how different words are marked or carry assumptions with them. The writer said the unmarked form of a word carries the meaning that goes without saying. What you think of when you're not thinking of anything special. I think widow is a marked word. When we hear widows named in scripture, we remember Anna, a prophet at the temple in Luke chapter 2. Or the widow at Zarephath who met Elijah who Luke references in chapter 4. Or the widow who gives all she has to the treasury in chapter 21. In Luke's telling, all of these widows are aged and alone with little means of their own. But maybe not. Amy Jo Levine, professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt, suggests that because Anna's husband goes unnamed, but she is introduced as the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, explicitly connecting her to the northern tribes of Israel that were taken into exile, she represents the tenacity of holding on to her identity. Levine also notes that the widow at Zarephath argues with Elijah advocating for her son who is ill instead of submitting to his demands. And finally, the widow who gives her two coins clearly had her own money and choices to make about how she used it. No one had exploited her. These women all have agency and individuality. In the translation we just heard, Jesus tells us that the woman kept saying to the judge, grant me justice against my opponent. But the word translated here as justice is et dikomena, which is vengeance or revenge. 
not the crisis that we recognize from the prophet Isaiah's instruction to learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Hearing the woman sought vengeance <coughs> changes how we hear this parable. Vengeance or re revenge is consuming. It distorts how we view the world and events. It isolates us from others who do not share our passion. Reconsidering how we imagine widows and casting the woman as vengeful makes her character less sympathetic or morally exemplary. Continuing the parable, Jesus tells us that the judge relents. But we shouldn't mistake his action as a change of heart or repentance, turning toward God. Still adamantly denying God and neighbor, he is motivated by self-preservation. In our translation, it says the woman will wear him out, but the Greek is actually a boxing word that is better translated as beat on him or even give him a black eye. He acts because he feels threatened, not because he's compassionate. So now what? Jesus doesn't commend the judge to us as a moral exemplar. The judge remains turned inward, searching out the most expedient way to get rid of the fuss and bother that interacting with the world around him and his community brings. And Jesus isn't commending the woman's dogged pursuit of vengeance to us either. After all, in Leviticus, we hear the Lord command Israel, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in his letter to the Romans, St. Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As we've listened to the parables, we've learned that Jesus often told these stories to disrupt and to prompt us to see the world a different way. So perhaps this parable is pointing us toward a way of thinking differently about what justice is and how it's achieved. This weekend, a Mississippi memorial to Emmett Till was rededicated. Kidnapped by two white men in 1955, the 14-year-old black boy visiting family in the South was beaten and killed. His body was discovered in the Tallahatchie River three days later. The two men arrested for his murder were acquitted, and because of double jeopardy laws, were never convicted even after they publicly professed to what they had done. Till's mother had her son's body brought back to Chicago and his casket was open during his funeral.
to display the brutality inflicted on him. Today, you can see that casket on display in the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. There was no justice for Emmett Till. But more than 50 years after his death, a memorial commission was formed in Mississippi, and people continue to work to tell the story of how he died and work for racial justice now. One of the ways they tell Till's story is through markers or memorial signs. And after the first three signs were vandalized with graffiti, bullets, and acid, they constructed a more durable memorial that was dedicated this weekend. Justice. Setting things right is what we hear the prophets argue for. It is what Amos calls for when, as Eugene Peterson wrote in the message paraphrase, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Where revenge is personal, justice is rooted in community and society. It isn't about getting even. Instead, it's about correcting wrongs that have been perpetrated and systems that have gone unchallenged. Where revenge is punitive and wants someone to suffer, to hurt, or to feel pain, Justice is restorative, recognizing that God cares for the victims and the perpetrators, and we are created for relationship. Restorative justice doesn't eliminate accountability or consequences, but seeks reconciliation and repairs relationships. For all of us, who have a lot more in common with the widow and the judge than with Jesus. This parable is good news that gives away the ending of the greatest story we have. God doesn't play the games that these two characters play. We neither have to pound on God for attention or fear God's disdain. God welcomes us with abundant love and gives us unearned grace and faith. God knows us fully, even when we fail to love and fear God, even when we are angry or vengeful or selfish and unmoved by the troubles of those around us. And God invites us into life with God, with each other and with the world, trusting us to seek justice, to set things right, that God will be known. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus, and for the grace you have given each one of us. 
Grace that is patient with us as we learn what it means to fear and love you. Grace that strengthens our voices and encourages us to love our neighbors and seek justice in an unjust world. Prompt us to listen to your word and what you are saying to us as you call us to follow Jesus. Amen.